Home. Home. Could it be? Mm. Oh, what's that? Oh dear God, it could be. Actually, oh. you are listening to Fionn's Lovely Podcast. Lovely. Hello and welcome to Fionn's Lovely Podcast. This is the first episode of my new podcast. And yeah, I'm really excited for it. Uh, this is a chat show where I talk to interesting people from the worlds of art and media. So yeah, on today's episode we have Owen Corbett, also known as Sail Owen on social medias. And yeah, Owen is a really talented guy. He does a lot of things. He, he wears a lot of hats. Uh, he's a documentarian, YouTuber, Snapchatter, journalist, and overall, sad lad. So on today's episode, we talked about his life, his work, uh, social media, and his new documentary. And Mark Zuckerberg. We talked about Mark Zuckerberg quite a bit. So yeah, enjoy this first episode of Fionn's Lovely Podcast. Ah, lovely. Hello, how are you doing? So this is the first episode of my new podcast. And unfortunately, I'm a bit under the weather as I'm just recovering from a cold. So my voice isn't as hot as it usually is. And it's actually just quite nasally. And today I'm joined by Owen Corbett. How are you doing, Owen? I'm doing very well. Um, thank you for having me, Fionn. I'm honoured to be your first guest and the best guest you've ever had at this point. I have pleasure to have you. Thank on you. that other guy. Jesus. <laughs> Until when podcast two comes out, that may change. But for now... I'm at the top. Last year, you moved up to Dublin to work. Uh, so how are you adjusting to adult life? Good question. I could talk about this topic a lot, um, so I'll try and keep it brief. Um, essentially, I had a kind of a strange career path. So I finished school um, probably two years ago now, maybe two and a half years ago. Uh, did my leaving cert and I took what was meant to be a gap year. So a year to just uh, work on my films and do what I wanted and hopefully do some traveling. Um, I was traveling in New York the summer before my gap year, shortly after my leave insert, and I got an email from someone who was like, hey, I've seen your videos. Um, would you like to work for me? So I basically started working straight away in my gap year, not full time, but um, a lot uh, as a video editor. And um, so that was fun. And uh, I was kind of trying to decide whether I would go to college or what kind of a route I would take to becoming a real actual adult. And what do you think was pivotal in that decision not to go to college and go straight into work? I would love to say that I I was never, you know, fully sure I was going to go to college anyway. Uh, I would love to say I had this um, moment where I was like, no, I don't need to go to college. But realistically, I, I just applied for a job with a very cool company called Storyful in Dublin. I never thought I would get it, um, but I did. So once I had that job, um, it's actually an internship. Once I had that and I started there, it was like, I don't think I need to go to college because my, you know, I'm working in the kind of industry I already want to work in. And um, I think there's a lot of reasons how that like happened. And it's a really interesting conversation, you know, especially creative, like whether college needs to be a thing that they do. And I think in many ways it doesn't have to be a thing you do if you don't want it to be. But that was a lot to do with the fact that I was in second year when I realized what I wanted to do, which is a really 
That's lucky. That's a very lucky thing. Like, Gives you a good amount of time to work on it. So. Exactly. So, you know, in second year, I didn't necessarily think I'm going to be a video journalist, but I just thought I really like making videos. So in, in, in second, third, fourth, etc., um, started working on films and then got better, started winning awards and stuff. So we had a good amount of like um, stuff built up on the CV that meant that we could just go into Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, so Owen has been running a YouTube channel called Salon for the past how many years? Too long, probably like three or four years now. Me and Owen grew up in the same town, so I kind of saw him around and then found out he had a YouTube channel and I would have been about 14 at this time. And someone running a YouTube channel in your town was kind of a weird thing at that stage. Still is a weird thing. Um. It- how the whole YouTube thing started for me was um, my f- best friend Adam, Adam O'Dwyer, who you may have on this podcast at some stage. Um, we started making videos together. And so we originally had our channel together called Adam and Own Videos. Which I never got to see. That was before my time. Look at you. Um, <laughs> they're under lock and key, those videos now. Um, but we, we did that for two years before we started our own separate channels. So I've actually been doing YouTube for closer to six or seven years. And it was always a weird thing, like it was considered to be weird. And um, when people found out that we did YouTube, there was a huge amount of like bullying attached. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. And um, then I think what happened, like nothing changed really, except maybe we got better at making videos and YouTube became a thing that people actually did and understood. So then it stopped and and we were just lucky that we were the kind of people that could shrug shrug it off, push it off, um, forget about it. But I mean, if, if, if we were people that were, would have been like affected by that, I'm not sure we would have gone on to continue making videos, which is a kind of a scary thought. I've seen that happen and I haven't seen it happen in real life. I've seen people that kind of break down happen on video, yes. which is a really horrible thing to happen. Yes. And... Um, you know that that's the the sad thing about bullying but like it was bad but i think we just loved making videos so much and like we were growing an audience so we saw that not everyone thought we were weird for doing it and um the, the enjoyment kind of was most important oh yeah sure by the time i found out about your channel like yourself and adam were quite respected by most people in school context kind of in school and what i saw online and stuff yeah, it got to a certain point where people people kind of thought, oh, well, they're not going to stop anyway and they're doing well and we had won some competitions and stuff. So it's like, well, maybe they should keep doing it. <laughs> and so you were saying you work for a company called Storyful. What is your job exactly? That's a good question, Fiona. It's a question I struggle answer- answering. Um, Do you get it a lot? I get it a lot because people don't know what Storyful is a lot of the time. Um, so firstly, Storyful is basically a social media news agency. Um, and it was started about six or seven years ago now by Mark Little, a former RT journalist. And he essentially saw that social media was becoming such a big thing and everyone was going around with smartphones, uh, with cameras. Um, so instead of, say, when we were reporting on the Middle East, um, instead of having to send a crew out there, which was dangerous, extremely cost- costly, um etc um we could just 
verify and acquire digital content that was being produced natively anyway by people who lived in these places. Um, so that's what, what Storyful is. I work on the video team. Um, it was formerly the viral team. And what that is, is uh, basically we are on the lighter side of things. So not much about uh, wars or Trump, um, but a lot about um, any kind of, I, I explained it as any video that would get views online. So it could be your cat videos to amazing uh, events in nature to anything. So if I went viral in the morning, you would be the people who would help me get that on uh, TV or something? Would that be it? Or yes. am I getting that wrong? No, you're, you're correct. Um, we're a B2B company, so that's why a lot of people don't know what Storyful is. We won't necessarily deal with you unless you have a video that has gone viral or unless you're a news agency. So we will um, say Fionn's video goes viral um, we'll probably contact you, say, hey, we can help you to um, protect your content, to make money from your content and to get it seen by more people. And we'll work out a deal and then we will essentially um, promote that video. And we have um, kind of a newswire, which um, other companies, um, like the biggest media companies in the world, like any, any, basically any company you can think of, media company, um, can access that newswire, find great content, and then uh, license it through us to be used on TV, social media, or anywhere else. That's really cool because in years past where if someone had a video that would go viral, they wouldn't get the revenue off it. It would be stolen. Yeah, we, we use the term scraped. Yeah, which is still a big problem on Facebook. Absolutely, yeah. And we can talk about that if you want. I, I, I um, my, my role in the team is mostly video editor. Um, and I produce some content and then I also run, um, I also do most of the work running our social media accounts. So the Facebook page and the Twitter. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I remember like it was a rare thing if someone had a pet that went viral and they get money for it. Like the lady who owned Grumpy Cat was famous because she was able to monetize it yeah it's it's a you know what happens a lot is say your video goes viral and you're suddenly going to get if it's very viral you literally could be hundreds of journalists who are like hey Fionn can I use your video in our broadcast can I use your video on our website and the natural reaction is to be like yeah sure you can which is fine but you have to realize that you know a lot of those companies are going to take that video and put it on their website with their ads and make money from it. And so what we do is um, we basically say that, uh, say if, if your video is licensed with us, we'll tell them, we'll tell you to direct anyone to us and our licensing team can work out a deal for you. As well, we'll um, manage your video on YouTube and Facebook and we'll, uh, we've systems there that'll automatically find copies of the video. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm still thinking now I'd love to get a comic artist on in an episode because that's a huge problem where people steal their comics or steal their memes and cut out their watermark. Yeah. And it'd be great if there was a company to protect that. Yeah, it's very difficult with images or GIFs. Um, and what I would say is that um, what's kind of scary about the whole um, scraping thing is that it's often very big 
reputable companies that are doing it and they're only kind of coming around now when they get a slap on the wrist for stealing content that they realize that they have to actually oh yeah and they will sue you if you steal theirs like i don't know is it same to safe to name names uni lad <laughs> but yeah they do that the whole time yeah i won't comment on uh, <laughs> um particular agencies but um yeah it's a huge problem and it's it's a cool company to work for you know because you know that in reality like storyful is a very ethical organization and we are making people realize that you know this content is theirs and they deserve to make money from it when the news organizations which use it are making money from it themselves yeah that's a super valuable resource okay uh so you've hinted on your social medias that you're working on a new documentary so can you reveal what it's about I can reveal what it's about. Um, so we're very early into the stages of filming it. We were um, looking into the, the topic and researching for, for about three months before this. And the documentary is about veganism. Yeah. Cool. I went veggie for two months uh, at the end of last year. And I just... Christmas came around and I realised how great Honey Glazed Ham was and that was the end of it. That's a big thing. Um, my, my reason for doing this documentary, um, like I'm vegan at the moment, but I'm doing that for the documentary. So I'm doing 30 days of veganism and I'm on day three. And we can talk about that um, for sure because it is it's really interesting seeing like going from... Because I'm, I'm someone who ate a lot of meat and had a lot of dairy like I would drink pints of milk all that kind of thing and I went um on the 31st of January from eating all of that to the 1st of February having none of it which is a, an interesting thing um and my my reason for doing the documentary is because I know I know in terms of ethics in terms of my own health and in terms of the environment one should be vegan yeah of course but I'm not so why is that and that's the core of the film well what what I found was even eating vegetarian at school it would be very hard to go down to a shop and find anything suitable that didn't cost it a bomb the thing here about vegetarian the thing here about vegetarianism and veganism in particular is that you are giving up something that is hugely valuable to us right now, which is convenience. I have to prepare everything in advance for this month, pretty much. Um, there are a couple of vegan restaurants and there usually are some vegan options. But if you want to eat food that is tasty and good for you, you've got to realize that you have to prepare your food in advance. And that's something I'm not used to. I work shift work in, in uh, Storyful and I do weird hours and stuff. So I always just end up grabbing things, something that's easy and I can't do that now. So that's the major thing. Convenience is the bottom line of it all. Mm. So you're only three days in, but is there anything you're missing the most? I've had a couple of cravings for meat. So far, I feel good. I feel very good. Um, I had a checkup with a doctor at the weekend and you know, he was saying that because it's a shock diet change, you're likely to feel bad for the first couple of days and before you get into it. I haven't had that yet. I feel good. Um, 
you know, I have had cravings for meat, but I, you know, the bottom line for me is I love fruit and vegetables. Like vegan, vegan food is delicious. Oh yeah. It's just, you have to be a clever person and prepare. So in terms of like stuff like protein, what are, what are you using to supplement that? That's a really interesting topic about veganism in general, because like everyone thinks everyone, I think there's a picture of like a meat eater as being this like muscly man and a vegan being this twig who is like, I need protein. There is a lot of protein in things you wouldn't think of. And you have to realize as well that like the vast majority of us meat eaters in 2017, and it was the same in 2016 and many years previous are having too much protein. We do not need much protein as, uh, as human beings. And um, when you eat a slab of meat, you're consuming way too much, which is like very difficult on your body. Um, so I'm making a, con- a slightly concerted effort to just make sure that I eat foods that have a little bit of protein in them, but I'm not overly concerned about having to have some sort of protein uh, powder or something that gives me this uh, protein, which I probably don't need. If I was doing this longer term, and who knows, maybe I will, but for this month, I feel like even if I'm slightly low on protein, it's not going to have a huge impact on my life. And um, what would be the aim of this documentary or what is the overall message you want to put out with it? There are a lot of documentaries about veganism out there and very good ones, but they're almost always entirely pushing veganism and not talking about any potential negatives that there are there. And I'm just coming I'm just coming uh, from a very objective background as someone who was not a vegan but knows that one should be vegan for many, many reasons and knows that the production of uh, meat is the number one cause of climate change and so on. Um, so I just, my, my basic idea behind it is to just learn about it, learn how easy it is, learn how difficult it is and um, educate myself and others on what the consumption of meat and dairy products uh, is doing to us and the environment and animals and how we can curb that yeah uh, when i was vegetarian i was looking up videos on on vegetarianism versus veganism and the number one thing i saw was a lot of people saying there is no point to it's just being vegetarian because you're still buying your eggs and your dairy from farms where animals are slaughtered and where animal suffering uh occurs so uh do you think would you agree that it's kind of pointless if you're doing it out of concern for animals? Pointless, no. And, you know, this is something that we'll touch on in the film, I hope. But there's a lot of... A lot of people's image of vegan vegans is someone who is obsessed with this and never stops talking about it and tries to push it down other people's throats which is a horrible thing. And I don't think the vast majority of vegans are like that, but obviously one loud vegan is... Oh yeah, there are a lot of uh, vegan YouTube channels that are very aggressive and very militant and they paint a horrible picture of vegans as a whole. Absolutely. Um, and anyway, So some vegans would, would kind of see like vegetarianism as a stupid thing. But I mean, my bottom line is like, if you're trying to make a positive impact... I'm not going to criticize you like, okay, you're still uh, contributing to things a little bit, but the fact that you have cut out meat is huge. And like, 
don't underestimate how much of a difference there is between being vegetarian and, and vegan. Like vegan is, is a lifestyle. Like it, it genuinely is. As in, I just had to go into town and buy vegan toothpaste because the vast majority of toothpaste contains some, some form of animal fat. I only have one pair of shoes currently that are vegan. Most vegan or most shoes have glue in it, which has an animal product. I have to stop wearing my watch because it's leather, my bracelets. My wallet was leather, so I have to go get a new wallet. I had to get a belt because my belt is leather. Um, I had to get shower gel that is vegan. I had to get shampoo that is vegan. It is huge. Like if you're actually thinking about how much animal products are in our lives, it's insane. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. And it really does, when you're vegan, affect every decision you make and you have to be super conscious about everything. So maybe that's a good thing to bring an awareness to your lifestyle and like question every choice you make. Absolutely. Like veganism, I've no doubt in my mind, is a good thing. But it has to also be talked about that it is, in 2017, still quite an extreme lifestyle choice where, as you said, there's like, you have to think about everything. There's a filter over everything where you have to stop yourself and say, is this vegan? And, and you know, I'm in the most difficult phase of that now where I've been vegan for three days and so I'm confused about everything and I Google everything at the moment. But that will become easier, but it's still more difficult. There's still these limitations on your life and that's the fault of the world we live in, not the vegan themselves. And I think that will change over time, but it will take time. It's like how vegetarianism is now kind of very widespread and everything says suitable for vegetarians, very little things say suitable for vegans and so on. Mm. And so when it becomes more popular and dare I say profitable, you will then see more palpable easy options for vegans yeah because i was in a restaurant uh two weeks ago who had a lot of vegetarian options like uh bean burgers falafel but they all had cheese and eggs on them and stuff like that so that kind of defeated the purpose and i was looking through the menu and couldn't find anything suitable for a vegan yeah it's such um a difficult thing and i've even found in the first couple of uh days that I look at ingredients labels and I can't say if something is vegan or not because you have all these terms that it is an animal product but it never just says like cow's milk or it says like xanthan gum or something which you have to be educated enough to know that that is made with animals and it's just this whole thing. Yeah, it's like finding out if something's sugar-free or not it's impossible because sugar is under so many different names but I think that's a conversation for another day I agree but yeah after this conversation I'm definitely gonna go back to cutting meat out of my diet because it's just something I haven't thought about the repercussions of in a month yeah and I hope after the film I, I um, would imagine the film will probably be in September October maybe finished um, I'm hoping after people watch that they realize uh, how much of an impact it's making but I'm not just trying to turn everyone vegan either I think it's just about being more conscious 
and uh, cutting things down is, is amazing if you can do so. So this documentary you're making now is, is it similar in tone to uh, Internet Addiction Me, the documentary you made about cutting internet out for 30 days? Yes, it will be similar in tone in some ways and it, it's carrying on the same format. So the format for that film was 30 days without the internet. So this is 30 days as a vegan. And again, in Internet Addiction of Me, like spending a month without the internet was only really a frame for the documentary and the rest of it was just about internet addiction in the world. So this is the same basically. Um, I just hope it'll be better because I made that two and a half years ago, maybe three now. Oh yeah, how old were you when, when you made that like? Uh, I was 18, um, possibly 17, the end of my 17th year and, and into my 18th. Oh yeah, the quality of your films are definitely going to change between that time. Yes, 100%. I'm 21 now and I have not made a documentary since then, which is kind of scary to say, but they just take so much time and when you have other things on your plate, it's like the last thing you get to, but... Oh, I can imagine yeah but um i i hope this will be better anyway but it's good that you've that this is your second documentary so you have that experience and those mistakes to drive from yeah i i think you probably identify with this a lot but anything i make i generally hate um absolutely very quickly afterwards um if not while i'm making it and you know the struggle then is releasing things but I also think that, you know, looking back on, say, internet addiction and me, um, I can just spot so many mistakes, which to me just tells me that I've learned a lot. So I like to look at it from that way. Yeah, I made my first short this month and uh, in the middle of the process, I began hating it because when you're shooting and editing it, you you spend the most time with it. And if there's any problems even if you're going to cut them out or fix them, you're the only one sitting with that for the longest time. So you're going to end up hating it. There's huge value in having a friend or a family member who you, whom you really trust to watch things with fresh eyes. Because when you're making a film, you will never have fresh eyes. And you also see things in a different way than everyone else. And everyone else doesn't have the expectations you have for what you're making. And um, that that's something that I think YouTube is really good at because you're never going to have a perfect YouTube video, but you know, a lot of the time you want to make a YouTube video every week. So you've got to release it, even if you don't think it's perfect and releasing something that isn't perfect is better than not releasing anything at all. Yeah. I think that's a problem a lot of people have with YouTube and why I, well, including myself, like I don't make a lot of YouTube videos anymore because I'm just gone kind of sick of the format and I think a lot of a lot of people are because remember in 2013 where a lot of people had YouTube channels and everyone was posting weekly maybe I'm just being nostalgic but there seemed to be a lot more energy for it back then what would you think about that I can echo that very strongly I have loved YouTube for so many years YouTube has and is a big part of my life and it has gotten me an incredible amount of opportunities and has been invaluable for me. But I have absolutely no motivation to make anything for YouTube anymore. 
Um, and that's the result of uh, a lot of things, but I'm just sick of the format and I'm sick of how everyone makes the same thing now and everyone does YouTube for views and it's a, it's about becoming a, a job for people and if you don't upload every week, you don't get the views. And if you upload once a month and no one watches it, you have to admit that that is kind of disheartening and it's this vicious cycle and you know, sure, I probably will put this documentary on YouTube when I release it, probably in a long, like possibly 2018. But it, for me, I am very disillusioned with the whole YouTube game and I still watch a couple of YouTubers, but that's it for me. YouTube is dying and I'm just waiting for another format to come that I like as much as I did like YouTube. And for me, that's, potentially snapchat at the moment oh yeah definitely because snapchat is new and people are figuring out what they want to do with it the developers are figuring out new things to do with it and you can't make money from it yet well do some people uh get ads on snapchat yeah yeah um i should clarify you can't directly make like ad revenue from that you can have sponsored you know whatever but uh oh yeah it wouldn't work for 10 second clips or something to have ads between the yeah the, i think snapchat are a clever bunch of people they just filed for an ipo for three billion but um i think that um they'll find a way of monetizing it however that will be i don't know um but all i know is that it's a great place to create content at the moment i think yeah and it's also very intimate like you get to see peeks into people's lives when they're on the bus or at work or getting ready to go out 100 percent. the only thing i would say like a concern i have about it immediately two concerns i have about it immediately you you know we talked about having to be weekly with your youtube uploads with snapchat you have to be daily which just puts a whole other stress or hourly yes exactly or minutely for some people yeah 100 percent, and then you'll see the most popular snapchatters will never take a day off probably not even an hour off and secondly, um, my other concern is that maybe it's just because I'm not good at it, but it's very hard to gain followers on Snapchat because it's such a concerted effort to add someone on Snapchat by typing in their username or scanning their code. And you've never, you have very likely never seen any of their Snapchats previous to this. So you're taking a gamble. Yeah, that, that's why I never posted too much on Snapchat because... It was the same people looking at you all the time. Absolutely. And there was no way of like finding new people. Like on Twitter, there's a recommendations bar where you can just follow a few people who have Twitter accounts that look interesting. And then you can see their tweets and see if you're actually interested in their personality. Yeah, exactly. And I think like Snapchat, although it's been around for, I think, probably five years now, it's still in its... Um, infancy in many ways and they will find a way of making that better but for the moment it's not good and um i have pro like i would say properly been snapchatting for about a year now and i still don't have anything close to what i would have on youtube or had on youtube and i did like there's a couple of hundred people watching each time i post but that's it and it's really hard to get it past that and i think like a big way of getting people on snapchat is shout outs 
which I've gotten a couple of, which have like brought people in. But then again, like I'm not going to get a, Snap- a Snapchat shout out every time to build my audience. Yeah, it would be cool if in your snaps you could link to other people, put an annotation on screen that leads you to someone's account. And because Instagram stories can do that, Snapchat can will, they? Yeah, Snapchat will do that quite quickly. So an Instagram stories, which I very, very rarely use, but you can, uh, you know, write on the on the screen at and then put in, you know, say alone. And when you're watching it, you can click on that and open their profile. So. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how uh, the people at Snapchat must feel about Instagram and Facebook just stealing their whole app and integrating it into their own. Well, a lot of thoughts about it. I mean, you know, we all know Zuckerberg tried to buy Snapchat and Snapchat were like, no, which I respect them for. But then just to see like, uh, I don't want to say Mark did it himself, but Facebook just swallow it basically try and swallow it all so facebook pulled the zuckerberg (laughs) exactly um but to see that happening to me is just so it's so i know like i know ethics they don't matter in this whole world but it's just like i hate to see the big guy just trying to basically oh well we can't buy it let's make our own and i saw an article yesterday that said that instagram stories are affecting snapchat's numbers which is quite Surprising to me because I feel like you go on to both for different things. I don't know if you use Instagram. But yeah, I don't use Instagram, but I know it's easy to get followers on Instagram. Yeah, I think that's true, yeah. Because, well, I don't use it, but like all your Facebook friends kind of add you automatically. Yes. When they join. So you, if you're doing like snaps there, you have a built-in audience. Very and true. And it's easy, easier to grow there. I tried it for a day or two on Instagram stories. I was like, well, I'm Snapchatting. I may as well try this. And um, I noticed that uh, the viewer drop-off was much worse. So um, I could see that people were watching one snap and then slowly dropping off um, or quite quickly dropping off. Whereas Snapchat, that'll happen anyway. Um, But it's not as quick, I feel. So maybe that's a thing where people are more willing to like sit on Snapchat and listen to me talk crap than Instagram. Because for me, Instagram is not somewhere I go on to listen to someone talk. It's for good photos and videos. Yeah, well, I I suppose because a lot of people are aware that they're just stealing Snapchat. Yeah. So I, I think like a lot of people have that kind of purist attitude like, I might want to stay away from this. Yeah, well, the Facebook stories especially, which seems mad to me because I feel like Facebook are in a weird way diluting their own but not actually their own market by having it on both instagram and facebook because it's like well then what what do i do like what do you want me to do facebook do you want me to post stories to instagram and facebook and like which is which it's like just make like okay if you're gonna steal snapchat do it on one rather than the other and like uh facebook stories only launched in ireland at least like this week i think yeah very recently and I mean, at the moment, I know it's very early, but no one is using them from my perspective. I, th- I don't know how many friends I have on Facebook, 800 or something. And I've seen 10, I would say. And they're all like linking their Snapchat. I've seen two. Yeah. And that's out of like 300 friends. So yeah. The amount of... Yeah, I don't know. Because Facebook had a really great thing going with like their live streaming videos and how they made that easy. Because, like, on YouTube, if you did a live stream or 
you now, you wouldn't have a built-in audience ready to go and no- notifications wouldn't be sent out. But on Facebook, there'd be people there right away. Yeah, exactly. And I have a lot of thoughts about the whole Facebook timeline algorithm. And, you know, I, ma- I manage the Facebook page in work a lot of the time, which we've recently hit 2 million fans on. And we post like almost exclusively um, video to that because we're, we're storyful. But um, it's so interesting to see how everyone is, is basically just like at the, um, what's the, what's the term? At the wrath of, at the... At the mercy? Yeah, that's the one. Facebook, it's so interesting to see how... I'll give you a cut point. It's so interesting to see how everyone is at the mercy of Facebook and like, you know, Facebook made uh, videos very preferential in the algorithm on the timeline. So suddenly we must all do videos. And now it's live video. Now you see live videos everywhere on the timeline. So it's like, oh, we must do live video. And it's like, I mean, and, and like no one's making money off Facebook directly and the monetization is on the way. Um, how they'll introduce that I don't know how good it'll be but it'll be there hopefully where you know we can get some of the money that is uh, made from the videos but um, I think that Facebook is still figuring it out themselves really you know I think so yeah and uh, that emphasis on video that Facebook has has also been a huge contribution to scraping and freebooting yes and I've heard I have trial to monetization on pages that do a lot of that i would i would not be surprised um i will say that um at least bigger pages or like official business pages have access to something called rights manager which is similar to youtube's content id system so um we'll upload videos to the rights manager and automatically be told about copies of the video um but the problem is i mean all you can do is take them down you know you can't do say what would often happen on youtube where you just monetize them and the views go back to you you can just take them down um but that's a positive thing i guess but i mean they're doing it because they have to do it yeah it's something that needs to be done but i think they're a bit hesitant and it's only facebook really monetizing at the moment because they're the only ones getting the ads at the side of the page absolutely i mean i think what what are they doing with that money (laughs) they're um it's going into mark's pockets uh i i think that um oh yeah he's creating uh jarvis he's creating artificial intelligence yeah good job mark um he's a good lad he's a good lad good good guy but i think uh i think because facebook are in the position they are in as the biggest site that own everything and own WhatsApp and own Instagram and uh, Oculus Rift and so on. And you. And me. Yes, they, they do own me and all of you listening. Um, we're all kind of just at the mercy of them. And like for a while, they can kind of mess us around with things like monetization that the vast majority of users don't really care about. How, did you see that video that Frank Zuckerberg put out? The household... Uh, AI that he had I did and have you seen the film Ex Machina I haven't but I've heard it's uh, I've heard a lot of it's very similar and yes the guy in Ex Machina was the creator of Blue Book so I'm just wondering is Mark Zuckerberg gonna do that what is Mark gonna do next that's what you should What's name this good... podcast yeah. and we could just talk about Mark 
Okay, hello, <laughs> hello, and welcome to Mark Talk with Fionn Clary. How are you doing? I'm good. What's Mark gonna do next, Fionn? Oh, he's gonna give Trump a good big kiss on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> that was the alternative uh, topic of the podcast, Trump Talk, because that just gets loads of views. I'm not going. I'm not never talking about Trump on a podcast because everyone talks about Trump and I have enough of it and he's a dick and everyone knows it everyone um, talks about Trump and that's why he got elected because he said he said outrageous stuff media talked about it he got free advertisement out of it I would say though give him a chance Fionn give, give Trump a chance oh yeah he might be a good guy no I'm pretty sure he's a good guy yeah yeah he might just be saying that stuff to get elected because in a New York Times interview he said if I would run for president, I would be a Republican nominee because the Republican voters are the most stupid among American voters. And We're getting into Trump talk. Anything you say. Back out. Okay. Evacuate, <laughs> evacuate, shit. Um, I was going to say something there about Mark. Um, whatever we say about Mark. Back to Mark talk. Back to Mark talk. Um, good lad. Good lad. Fair, fair play to him. Uh, he did make, he did not make, but he, he did inspire one of my favourite films, The Social Network. So, you know, we could forgive him. Oh yeah, he, he gave us that. He did. Do you enjoy that film? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I really like that. It's one I can watch over and over again, even if it's not uh, entirely accurate. Is it though? I've heard it's not. Um, and it, like any kind of a, f- a Hollywood film has to, like they have to add interesting aspects to it, like hot girls and stuff. Yeah, I can't, um, can't imagine those two Aryan twin guys were, were that menacing. <laughs> No, I don't think so. Um, although I did, go- I do remember googling. Googling, that's uh, how I say googling now. Uh, googling. I'm not. I'm not able to say googling because Mark has my my brain, and Mark doesn't own Google. Um, but yeah, I, I remember googling them, and they were like this whole weird kind of a like perfect human type, do the sports thing and do the Harvard thing. Do the sports. Yeah, do the sports. That that's also another podcast we could do. That'd be a great podcast. Just. Uh, talk about hurling for the whole thing yes and don't, nothing about it I might struggle you know keeping up and also having things to say but I'm up for it oh yeah no the, the names of the hurlers would be the hardest part for me yes yeah I, I can name one or two but I'm not gonna just you know don't wanna make you look bad knowing the knowing your local hurling team is like knowing like 20 cousins yes who all have different surnames or the same surname Yes. Nepotism. Okay, let's get away from hurling talk. Ooh, we got deep into a couple of topics there that I did not know enough about. I don't know enough to talk about it. <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, oh, that that's my political show. <laughs> I'd listen to it. Hello, we're talking about the Syrian conflict. What the fuck's going on there? It's not good, Fionn, I'll tell you that much. We should do something about it. Ah, uh, well, what can you do? Probably nothing. Next topic. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll try find one last question and then we can end it there because I think we we went on for an hour. Did we? Wow. Well, I'm not sure. It just feels like it has. Yeah. However, those are a lot of beats. <laughs> yeah, it's going by beats here. I'm trying to do the maths. It's not working for me. <laughs> one, two. Yeah, 55 minutes. <laughs> Let's just do that for a minute. For a whole minute and then divide it. <laughs> I'm sure this is not frustrating to listen to. <laughs> okay, actually, on your Snapchat you recommend documentaries a lot. 
Do you have any documentary recommendation? Such a treat of a question, Fionn. I love talking about this to people who do not care. Um, yeah, so, I mean, number one, I would recommend someone who everyone already knows, Louis Theroux. Um, I think he is just the best in the business in many, many ways. He's a great lad. He's a great lad. Genuinely great lad. Like, greater than Mark. Um, That's what I'm thinking of calling the audience for this podcast, the good lad gang. Good lad gang, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope they're good lads. And I'm sure they are. But um, Louis, for me... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Louis, for me, is... uh, it's just an incredible documentary filmmaker and I think the way he can make friends with these people in a couple of minutes so that they say things that they would never say to anyone else is unbelievable and I use an example quite often when I'm talking about Louis um, from one of my favourite documentaries of his uh, America's Most Hated Family oh yeah uh... Westboro Baptist Church yeah yeah so he visits the Westboro Baptist Church and he's given one question with Fred Phelps, the founder. And he was so gracious in that interview. Oh, he was an excellent guy. But so welcoming. He was he I think he's a great guy. He's a good lad. Um, Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Anyway, that's kind of controversial. But um yeah, so he's given one question with Fred Phelps, and the question he goes with is how many kids do you have? which is an extremely basic and frustrating question for Fred Phelps, who thinks that he is basically God and that this journalist who is an enemy of his because all journalists are, in, are enemies of the Westboro Baptist Church has asked how many kids he has, which is something Louis could find out no problem. But like he's asking this question because he wants to know, is Fred Phelps going to include the kids who have left the Westboro Baptist Church in the number of kids he has? which is a really interesting thing. And Fred Fred Phelps doesn't answer it because he either is just too annoyed or knows what Louis is trying to do. But that is an incredible thing for me as it's just an example of the kind of mind that Louis through has. Moving on from Louis, which is a difficult thing for me to do, um, there's a documentary series called The Jinx. Have you seen it? Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, so it's a six-part documentary series. I believe it's HBO. It's not on Netflix, unfortunately. But um, it's it's about um, a guy who is accused of murders. And there's six episodes, and they go into why he was accused of them and so on. And then they actually interview him. And in the film, they solve the case as to whether he did it or not in the last episode okay don't tell anyone I will not tell you I will just say please watch it don't google watch it um, it's called The Jinx J-I-N-X and um, for me it's the best example of investigative documentary filmmaking that I've seen we're getting the plugs in already actually Owen worked on The Jinx <laughs> I did it's actually my documentary uh, series I wish in the credits he goes under an alias I do yeah I can't remember it but it's there <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, well, thanks a million for coming on. Yeah. That, that was a great first interview. And yeah, do you have any social medias you'd like to plug? I do. I will take any chance I get to plug all social medias. Um, my username on every single platform is Owen, So the Irish for Owen's life. S-A-O-L-E-O-I-N. Okay, great. Well, thanks for coming on. 
thanks for having me Fiona it was very very fun ah lovely Huh, that was a really fun interview. So thank you so much to Owen for coming on and being my first and best guest so far. And yeah, I'd really recommend checking out Owen's YouTube channel, Salone, where he has some great uh, videos and films. Since recording this episode, I've gone vegetarian again and I'm really happy that I did because I'm eating better and nicer food. So... Yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Fionn's lovely podcast. I can be found at Fionn underscore Cleary on Twitter. And yeah, uh, I'll be back next week with a new episode with Will Conroy, which was a super fun interview. And I really hope you enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in to Fionn's lovely podcast. podcast.